Hello again, and welcome to Chino Ichikano, our Lunar New Year edition. I'm Matt Chan, the Chino. Gunghe fa choi sunnin failok, which means wealth and prosperity and happy new year. I'm Enrique Serna, the Chicano. Happy Lunar New Year to all. It is the year of the ox. I thought that it would be good to talk about this New Year celebration in Asian communities. And Matt, I really wanted to talk about uh, what this uh, Lunar New Year celebration means to you uh, as someone who grew up with it and uh, it's been a part of your family. I know you've continued to celebrate it, not only with your kids, but with your grandkids. So tell me about it. Well, you know, one of the things, being from immigrant roots, right, there are a few things that your culture you hold on to, you know, because you don't have a direct connection with the old country. I mean, I don't identify with China or being, you know, a national Chinese person. So you hold on to the traditions that are meaningful. And, you know, my parents, they always celebrated Chinese New Year's. And, you know, I, I grew up thinking Chinese New Year's is a thing, but I didn't really realize it was really Lunar New Year. And that other cultures in Asia celebrate, like Koreans celebrate Lunar New Year, Vietnamese celebrate New Year's, along with other people that celebrate uh, New Year. So it's 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 a real thing. And the Chinese New Year actually lasts for 15 days. It started on Friday the 12th. It happened to be my birthday, so I actually decided <laughs> to just have a, a birthday meal. And today, I'll you know, on Saturday, I'll cook something Chinese for just my wife and I, because normally we I'd have the family over, but this year, you know. No, the, no right. dice. Can't can't do it. Even though we both have gotten our first COVID shots, uh, waiting for number two. And actually, it, as we record this, it's snowing like mad. Know, not like mad, but it's snowing continually here in Seattle. I at my place, I'm down by the water, and I've got about six inches of snow, and it's still coming down. I understand you have more where you live. It's, yeah, I'm I'm a Capitol Hill area, and there's about a foot of snow on the ground. Yeah. And uh, I was scheduled for my second shot this Sunday, tomorrow morning, and I don't think I'm going to make it. So I was able to reschedule it for later in the weeks, uh, later in the week. So that worked out. You would have needed some uh, cross-country skis or something to get out there to the University of Washington for where you live. Anyway, um, and and normally you would have your grandkids over, right? Yeah, I would. I would. Because, you know, it's, it's something they look forward to and they understand. And, you know, it's a good way to share culture. Right. Right. Plus, they get the they get the little red envelopes with money in it, so that's a big deal. <laughs> that's probably what they they really look for more than anything yeah. else. Now, okay, so uh, you mentioned that uh, the fifteen day celebration among uh, Chinese. What about the other uh, cultures, uh, the Vietnamese and the Koreans and all of that? Do they usually have that long of a celebration as well? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I, I'm not well-versed in that. I know they for sure celebrate the day, beginning of it, but I don't know if they take it past, you know, um, a number of days. I know in San Francisco, they celebrate more as a community towards the end of it. That, that's when they have the big parade in Chinatown and all the other stuff. Now, for your parents, uh, I mean, was this something that you guys, you knew you were going to celebrate and they'd say, okay, hey, remember, it's going to be our... Chinese New Year celebration, we're going to have a meal, we're going to go to this, we're going to go to that. I mean, would they do that or what? Yeah, yeah, of course. They, they would always do that. I mean, one of the things growing up in Portland, there wasn't a huge Chinese community, so right. you just celebrated as a family. But if you're in places like San Francisco with large Chinese communities, they would have big community banquets. 
where like, you know, you would have a family association get together and you would have sometimes up to like 20, 30 tables. So like three, 400 people and you share a meal together. Right. And, and what about, usually they have this dragon that comes through in the international district. It's a lion. A li- oh, it's, excuse me. The dra- yeah, excuse me. Okay, I'm Mexican. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do I know? But it's a li- yeah, it, basically they'll go and they'll, uh, they'll light firecrackers and perform in front of various stores because it, probably, it drives away, uh, you know, bad luck. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the whole thing. Ch- luck is huge in Chinese. I mean, the number eight, if you, if you go to... Yeah, Chinatown stuff, you, the number eight figures prominently because that's like a lucky number. Right. So, um, you know. Superstition. So that's, that's is. Superstition. Is it big there as far oh, as early? Chinese are very superstitious. Yeah. Yeah. Did that carry over with you at all? I mean, would you wear certain amount, certain socks like when you went to the Emmy Awards or – no, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't even wear a certain thing when I watch the Seahawks play. But I know my I know my parents would. I especially my mom. Really, you know, she would be very superstitious about things. Really? Yeah. Like how so? Uh, you know, she would uh, just do certain things. Like she would clean the house, and and she would. I think there's a necklace she wore too. But it, it was you know she was a big believer in in the traditions and that sort of thing. My dad, not so much. <laughs> so the cleaning the house thing, wait a minute. I think I've heard about this before. Isn't there, isn't this part of it where, you know, you do a kind of a deep clean of your home and, and all of that? Is, is Yeah, but that's that's pretty standard, right? Even for any New Year's, you know, you want to start the New Year's off clean. And so I remember one of the things too was, you know, when I was growing up, they had a, like Frankenstein and Dracula, they had these models you would put together. And I had a Frankenstein one and she would, <laughs> Put, she would make me put that away because she says, you don't want that out on New Year's. Because that's bad luck. Well, I have no idea. But it, it might, just, might have been for her. So she, well, Yeah, it was definitely for her. All right. So uh, was she a card player too and Mahjong and all that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, her, her, her vice was dog racing. She would go to the dog <laughs> race track. Really? Yeah. Yeah. She liked gambling. Okay, so were you more like your father or your mother? I got a feeling you're more like your mother. You know, I I probably inherited the worst traits of both parents. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I do enjoy gambling, but not to the extent because, like my dad's like my dad, I can't stand losing money, so I'm very conflicted when I gamble. So. <laughs> I I I can't remember if I met your mother, but I do remember meeting one of your aunts. And oh yeah, yeah. What was her name? Betty. Betty. Yeah, she lived in Seattle. That's right. Did you guys call her Crazy Betty or something like that? Or just Aunt Betty? (laughs) I don't know. No, the only thing I remember is that she had this sense of humor that was- She was very funny. Very funny. She just would, I mean, it was hilarious. She was just like, she could do stand-up if she wanted to, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But I remember her. So that that was one thing that that really uh, just stuck out to me. So, you know- Okay, what kind? Of, what are you gonna make for dinner tonight? You're a very good cook, by the way. And well, I was, yeah. I was, I was toying with a couple of guys. So I'm gonna make a a braised red braised pork belly mm. for sure. That's one of the dishes, and make a vegetable and uh, dish. But you you have to do like uh, dumplings because it's like 
pockets of money, right? So they're little money pouches. That's really? That's the way they look at Yeah. Is that part and of it? You, yeah. And then you have to cook noodles because the long noodles are symbolize longevity. So there's all sorts of stuff. Oh, okay. There's I a, mean, it's just it's the two of us. I can't cook too much. So <laughs> Well, you could. And then, you know, you could send over something my way. Just Uber it, <laughs> you know, because, you know, yeah, you're a very good cook. Where did your cooking skills come uh, from necessity i mean it, it was just i started cooking in college and then i just kept refining my skills i mean i'm probably a better cook now than i was like 10 years ago just because it takes practice yeah you have more time now too right yeah i have yeah. more time and i you know i taught cooking classes for a little while so that helped chinese cooking classes yeah chinese really food, yeah yeah and who would take your classes um a lot of people. A lot. Of, I actually taught it for the Japanese community, so really? I was cooking food for the Japanese community because they like Chinese food. <laughs> so. And now I know that occasionally you would also uh, video uh, tape it, and uh, you would you would then cut it up and do these little presentations that you put either on Facebook and did you ever put them on YouTube? Yeah, I've got stuff on YouTube. Yeah. It's just I, I you know lately what I've done on my cooking videos. I don't say anything. I just videotape the process because you know it's like have you ever gone to those recipe sites where you wade through this yeah, long they story drive just me to get crazy because i want I the darn recipe yeah, yeah i mean i don't care that your dog chases just give me the uh kung pao chicken recipe right, please right that's all I, I just want the ingredients i want to know how long i have to cook it everything else i need i don't need the backstory on any of this and <laughs> it drives me crazy because then you try to jump to the recipe and half the time you you don't it doesn't jump to the recipe you get some ad or something like that so you know <laughs> knock that crap off i just want the recipe so anyway yeah you do that and and uh, are you gonna do more of that uh, you know, I've been, we've been busy doing this podcast. So I'm going to try. I'm going to try. <laughs> Who's a better cook? You or Guy, your wife? Well, Guy cooked when the kids were very little, but I think, I don't, I think in all the years we've married, she hasn't cooked very much at all. In fact, I know for the last 20 years, she's never cooked. Really? I cook all the meals. Wow. Well, that, that's nice. Jeez. Oh, uh, nice for her. <laughs> yeah, it's nice for me because yeah. it's it's funny because I do enjoy my own cooking. Yeah. And so, like when I'm like on vacation or something, I can't wait to get home and cook myself a meal. Oh, nice. So. Well, you you know, hey, dude, you can come over my condo. Wait, wait, you can come <laughs> over and cook for me, or let me come over and eat your food. Um, who's more Chinese, you or Gee? Oh, definitely Gee. Really? Yeah, because she could speak Cantonese. I didn't know that. And, yeah, she, and and so, yeah, she. Um, she definitely is more. I mean, she's the one who carries on the tradition and, you know, make sure all the grandkids and everybody, you know, knows what's going on. And yeah, she's the one who holds the culture in this family. Wow. Well, that's cool. I just I just cook the culture. <laughs> that's like my sister, Sally. She's the one uh, that keeps uh, our our family together and the, the culture of our family. Uh, you know, we have a, a big family reunion every year that we... You know, all the all the Mexicans and the ones that have joined us now in our family. Uh, as my son says, we have uh, uh, white overload into our uh, into <laughs> our family now. But, uh, yeah, she keeps that all together. So, I mean, I remember when your first grandchild was born and then you guys had a, like a, a luncheon. Well, yeah, it's called a, a one month baby party. Really? Yeah. And I'm not really sure because 
it, it's confusing to me. I think obviously someone who really understands the culture would know, but you celebrate sort of the baby, you know, being alive for a month. Right. In fact, a lot of times uh, they'll add in a year to the baby's age. So they make it a year. But that's really the tradition is you celebrate the baby after about a month. And, you know, you have certain foods you have to eat. And it, it's just a celebration of life. I remember the food was really good. And, yeah. you know, yeah, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to go. I figured the food was going to be good. So what the heck? <laughs> yeah. And did you do that with, with each child, each grandchild? Yes. Yes. Oh. You do that. Yeah. Now, I only remember going to one. What happened to the other one? How come I didn't get to I go can't... to the other one? <laughs> Because you ate too much at the last time. and we said, <laughs> no, we can't have him. Yeah, yeah, we can't have him there. <laughs> Thanks. Now, okay, so your son, you have a son, Max, and Althea, your, your daughter. Um, how much are they passing on, you know, or, or celebrating traditions? They do to a certain extent, but they still rely on Gee, my wife, to, to carry on the tradition for them. And do you... Uh, are you glad that she's the one that kind of keeps the tradition going? Yeah, of course I am because she knows what to do. And, uh, <laughs> or how to know. celebrate it. Yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting because the, the kind of Chinese traditions we celebrate are really old because it's set in stone when your grandparents, in my case, my grandparents immigrated here. It kind of freezes them in time. Uh. So the Chinese, I learned the accent, which was a Toisan accent. Um, and I sort of understood when I was growing up as a kid. But now when I listen to people, you know, newly have come here to, from Toisan, I don't understand a word they say. Wow. So things change. So I don't know what modern traditions are. I just know the traditions our family has celebrated through like multiple generations. Now, did your parents, uh, they didn't speak Chinese at home? My mom did okay. to my grandfather, but my dad, it was funny because it wasn't until I was a teenager and I heard my dad speaking Chinese and I look at him like, how do you speak Chinese? <laughs> he goes, I speak Chinese because he just never did. Really? Yeah. And, and why do you think they didn't try to hand it down or, or speak it around the house? It was just to be, to, you know, be American. I think in my parents' case it was because, you know, they didn't require us to go to Chinese school uh, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I was around it. I, I, I must have been able to speak and, and hear Chinese when I was little because I spoke with my grandfather all the time. I understood him. But, you know, now that I think back, I don't think he spoke English. Really? So it's, yeah, because at that point you're a kid. So you, yeah. you're used to both languages, right? Yeah. I'm sure you ran into that. Oh, yeah. my um, I don't – my grandfather, I think he might have – spoke some English and it's amazing to me because this is a man that, you know, he was about barely five feet tall, big head of hair, big, you know, Mexican mustache. And he was still farming several hundred acres at 75. And, and in fact, he was, he, he was uh, killed in a accident, um, taking cattle from one piece of property to another with a hired hand and they got hit by a train. And, um, you know, but what I remember about him is that he, he, you know, small guy, but really ruled with an iron fist in the family, had a lot of kids. My, my father, uh, his mom, she, she had 20 kids, uh, 15 made it to adulthood. Um, 
But what I also remember is that neither one of them spoke that much English at all. In fact, I rarely heard them speak English. And it always made me wonder how they got by, especially my grandfather, because, you know, he was he was a business guy as well. So mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, he prospered. He managed to do it. Of course, that's why I think he had kids. <laughs> so they, they would <laughs> do all the work, be laborers and, and also explain things to him as well. So there was that cultural thing. But my parents, you know, at home, it was uh, it was kind of Spanglish because, you know, yeah. they, they spoke. Spanish all the time, and we would reply to them either in English or partly in Spanish. So those those things too. But I always found it interesting that a lot of the Asian cultures, um, and, and particularly my Japanese friends, and you may notice this too, their parents, you know, didn't want them to speak the language. And yeah, I think that was more true uh, of Japanese families yeah. because of the internment. Right. You know, there was a shame of you know of what had happened, even though it was not their fault at all. But there was some, sh there was shame attached and, and they wanted to assimilate. They wanted to keep a low profile and become Americans because they are, they were Americans, right? right? So, yeah, I mean, it's no matter what culture you talk about, even, you know, the Asian culture, I mean, the, 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 the racism and the bigotry has always followed the culture. I mean, and, and, to make a turn on this, you know, even Chinese New Year's this year has a different kind of feel to it, it does. A, because COVID and B, because the uptick now in attacks on Asian communities. Um, it was real interesting. That sort of happened at the beginning of the pandemic and then it went into a, a lull. And I don't know what was going on, but somehow it's raised its head again. I mean, you can't look at the news today without seeing some incident of something happening that is either racially motivated or crimes of opportunity. But it seems, it seems now that the Asian community is being targeted much heavily, uh, much more heavily than, than any other group at this point. And it's hard to determine why right now, because we, I mean, going back, of course, Donald Trump was, you know, constantly saying the, the Chinese virus and making it a very negative thing aimed at China, partly because I think the way he had handled things with China, but also the way China had handled the whole thing with the coronavirus. Um, but yeah, we went through a lull, I think. And now it's, it's really hard to explain why, but it, there have been some really ugly incidents and particularly aimed at elderly Asians. Uh, well, it's a it's a crime of opportunity. Right? right. I mean, traditionally, you know, Asians, especially Asian men have been emasculated hmm. in media and just in, in American culture. And so they're not viewed as a threat. Right. Uh, and so when you look at a frail elderly person, you know, it's like culling the herd, you know, they're 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 potential marks, victims. Right. But the thing that disturbs me the most is uh this hasn't spawned just a whole idea of social inequity. It's really starting to divide races, right? I mean, the undercurrent is a lot of the attacks in the Bay Area um, are blacks attacking Asians. Right. So that becomes the narrative. Um, you know, the one in Oakland, right, where the guy had attacked three people. I mean, he obviously had mental health issues. The one in Daly City, though, where the Thai man was pushed and he fell and died. I don't know what motivated that, but there was no robbery involved. So is that is that a hate bias 
crime. Now, clearly, if you have the Proud Boys rolling around like they did in Portland last week, breaking windows in the Asian district, you know what that is. But it's a convenient kind of way to talk about saying, well, it's blacks attacking Asians. That is true. But that obfuscates what the larger issue is, right? Right. You know, uh, and, but it's, it's hard. How do you say that to a victim? How do you say it's not a racially motivated crime? And, and their you know? families then and how they would react as well. And I know that there, uh, you know, as we had the protests, um, there was a real effort, I think, in the Asian community, particularly younger Asians, to show uh, some solidarity and support for the people in the black community uh, and knowing too, that maybe the, of the racism that exists with with their their elders, so there's been a real effort there. I think to try to to bridge that gap. I know that's something that you have felt a lot about too. Oh yeah, I mean I, I've been involved a lot with young people and listening to them and trying to understand how they view the world because it is different and they view the world as someplace that needs to be fair. I mean, you and I were beaten up enough in our lives to know that life is unfair. You sort of live with it, you know? And even when we talked to Dr. Danielson, he said yeah. about complicity. Right. I mean, that's really what that is, is, you know, we had to survive by standing on, you know, just kind of enduring it. Right. Kids, young people today don't. They can speak up, yep. you know, and they have forums to speak up. So I just stand by and listen to it. And it just tears me up when I think about how race is dividing the Asian community. I mean, the model minority, that whole thing, is, was created by the dominant culture, white people, as a wedge issue. You know, it's like, why can't you be more like the Asians? Why can't you go to school, get an education? Well, there's a number of reasons why that was possible. One is because, you know, Asians were sort of tacitly given the permission by white people to excel. And blacks never had that, that, that opportunity. Time and time again, when black communities built up, the white culture tore them down. Chinatowns were left to flourish, right? Because people like to go eat chop suey. People like to go and eat the food. And they were more welcomed. Um, so there, it's really complex. Right. It, as, there's nothing black and white. Yeah, right. And there's nothing black and white about it. There's so many grays, you know, that, that you know, it, when you have this conversation, just because it's, um, it's difficult to pin down uh, again, but it also just shows how, uh, the, the challenges we have in, in trying to bridge these divisions and these gaps you know, in our country. Well, let's do this. Let's forget all about, about that for right now and just uh, let us celebrate uh, the Lunar New Year. And what are you making again tonight? Uh, I'm making braised pork belly for sure. I'm going to make some soup dumplings and noodles. Those three things for sure. And then I'll figure out the rest. Yum. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, happy Lunar New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, uh, Lunar New Year to everyone. We want to hear from you. Reach out to us on Twitter at Enrique Cerna and at Lofanland for me, Matt Chan. You can also email us at chinoichicano at gmail.com and check out our Chino Ichicano page on Facebook. Our theme music was composed and performed by Antonio Gomez. You can find the Chino Ichicano podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and other favorite podcast platforms. 
please take a listen, download, subscribe, and give us a review. If you'd like to watch our conversations, we're posting them to YouTube. Go to search and type in Chino y Chicano. I'm Matt Chad, the Chino. I'm Enrique Cerna, the Chicano. Stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and wear your mask. We'll talk more later. Thank you.